Last week, if you recall, just as a very short review, we are into the, of course, story of Yaakov and Esav and trying to understand what the panemius, what the internal theme is. And uh, last week I had left off with the question of what is the significance of Yaakov seizing Esav's heel? What is it? Because if you recall, the Pasuk reads, and afterwards his brother came out, and his hand was seizing or holding on to the heel of Esav. By Yaakov, and his name was called Yaakov, Yitzchok ben Shishim Shona Beledes Esam. And Yitzchok was 60 years old when they were both born. Now, if you recall that um, what I had answered is that according to the situation of Bechira, which means according to what Esav could have been, <clears throat> then the relative positions of Yaakov and Esav would indicate their exact tasks and also the sequence of that task and that would be that since the Indian of Ben David the coming of the Indian of Mashiach Ben David and the task of Ben David since that follows the Indian of Ben Yosef or the coming and the task of the Indian of Mashiach Ben Yosef since Yaakov is in the Indian of Ben David therefore obviously he would follow Esau who is in the Indian of Ben Yosef therefore the fact that Yaakov follows Esav indicates that their relative sequence of their tasks that Ben Yosef comes first therefore Esav who represents that comes first and Yaakov comes second since Yaakov of course represents the task of Ben David therefore he would come second this is of course according to the situation of Bechira had everything gone the way the Rebbe wanted it to go now many times you'll find that the same Pasuk can indicate or allude to Bechira's situation. In other words, this is the way it should go if the individuals concerned would choose Tev, would choose to serve the Rabbani Shalom. And also, you'll find that many times the same Pasuk indicates the future situation according to God's foreknowledge. And we know, of course, that there's no contradiction between the foreknowledge of God and the concept of free will. And we're not, going to, we're not going to go into it, of course, now. But in any case, the idea is that many times the same person will reveal what the true status will be. Even though this does not remove the free will or the bechir of the individual involved. And the same idea here, that even though Esav had bechir, as I've shown, indicated last week. However, the Pasuk still reveals five other meanings of the phrase that Yaakov was seizing the heel of Esav. And uh, this, of course, goes in accordance with the foreknowledge of the Rabbani Shlom, what would eventually be. And it would be very constructive, of course, for us to see exactly what this phrase in the Torah reveals according to the ultimate uh, future, what would truly be. Now, the second meaning of this, of Yodi Echezes Ba'kev Esav, is indicates that what the task of Yaakov is and also by the way that's one of the reasons why he is called Yaakov Yaakov means to follow to go follow upon the heels of therefore what it indicates or what it means the fact that Yaakov was following Esau at his heels is that Esau would eventually become a Russia and therefore represent the Sitra Akhra the forces of evil he would be the physical representation of course of the Yitzhahara, the Sitra Akhra. Therefore, it indicates that Yaakov 
must dissipate the power of the Sitra Akhra completely all the way to the heel of the Sitra Akhra, which is symbolic of the bottommost position. The heel of an individual, of course, is the bottommost part of the individual. So therefore, the heel symbolically indicates that Yaakov must follow at the heel of, you know, he has to go down, ultimately, all the way into Esav's heel, which means all the way down to the Sitra Akhra's heel, and to remove all the power that the Sitra Akhra has, which means to remove all those sparks of holiness, which the Sitra Akhra is, of course, in power of. And therefore, this is what the symbolic idea of Yaakov seizing the uh, heel of Esav. Now, how this manifests, of course, itself in, in the history is that what this would mean is that all nations who have certain schusim or certain sparks of Kedusha, and they, of course, represent the Sitra Akhra in their attempt to go against the Rebbe Shalom, this would mean that Klai Yisrael would go through Golis or exile to all nations. In other words, that they would either remain Sadiqim or suffer or be persecuted at the hands of all nations. And this would mean, of course, that Christ will have to go through all nations eventually to take out all the power, all the schusim, all the merits of each nation. Which means, of course, to take away all the, the merits of the Sitra Akhra as given to him, of course, by the sins or the Chatoim of Klai Yisrael. In other words, that Klai Yisrael would have to subdue all the Klippus, the entire union of the Sitra Akhra. And this is indicated, of course, by the symbolic position that Yaakov has the heel of Esav, Esav representing the Sitra Akhra, the major force on earth. Therefore, he would have to go to the heel of Esav, or the heel of the Sitra Akhra, to completely remove all the sparks of Kedusha. In other words, completely take away the power of the Sitra Akhra. And of course, as I said, that is indicated by the exile of, to all nations that Israel has to go which means that they have to go through each nation and remain Sadiqim and or suffer at their hands, thereby removing the power of the Sitra Akhra. That's the second meaning of uh, the fact that Yaakov was seizing the heel of Esav. Another idea is that Yaakov's dominion will be after Esav's dominion. In other words, since Yaakov follows Esav, it follows that his dominion, which is Yemoisa Mashiach and Ulam Abba, will follow Esav's dominion. And Esav's dominion, we know, of course, is Ulam Hazer. Therefore, that's also what it indicates in truth what would eventually happen. Al Pio Emes, according to the future knowledge of the Rabbanish Islam. In addition, a fourth meaning is that what it also indicates is that Yaakov or his descendants will be treaded upon by Esav. They will be stepped upon by Esav in two ideas. That of all the nations of the earth, the primarily the primary one that will be doing this treading or uh, subjugating the descendants of Yaakov will be Esau. In other words, rather than other nations subjugating Israel and and persecuting them, the primary function will be, of course, according to Esau. And also, the second idea is that this treading upon on Yaakov will be for a tremendously long time, as it is, it's been going on for over 2,000 years, which is more than 50% of the entire time that the Jews exist, assuming that the existence of the Jews is from the time of Avram, so therefore it's approximately 4,000 years that Jews exist or live, and therefore Esav has been persecuting and subjugating the Jews for much more than 2,000 years. So therefore it indicates by the fact that Yaakov is 
at the heel of Esav, that the Esav, or rather the descendants of Esav, which is of course Rome and Christianity, will be the primary nation that will tread upon Yaakov and his descendants. And of course that will be continuously for many thousands of years. This is the fourth meaning of what will happen in the future as indicated by Yaakov following at the heels of Esav. A fifth idea is to indicate that Yaakov goes after what Esav kicks with his heels, what he despises. And if you recall, it says, Vayives Esav is a that Esav rejected or despised the birthright, which of course is the priesthood, because the firstborn is the one who served as a priest in the family. Therefore, when a person despises, he kicks it away. Therefore, what Esav despises, or what Esav kicks with his heel, Yaakov is grabbing, right at that position. So therefore, it indicates that Yaakov is grabbing, namely the Tariag Mitzvah, what Esav, of course, is despising and rejecting. Another meaning, a sixth meaning, is that it indicates the relationship between Yaakov and Esav, what they will always be. That just like Esav is standing and Yaakov is at the heel, this indicates that the relationship between both will always be diametrically opposite. They will both be opposed to each other. In other words, when Esav on top is on top, Yaakov will always be on the bottom. And vice versa. If Yaakov is on top, then Esav is on the bottom. They are never equal in power or success. And this is indicated also by the relative positions of Yaakov as he emerges following at the heel of Esav. That either he's at the heel of Esav or Esav is at his heel, one or the other. And this is basically what, what this, uh, this idea reveals. Now, these are the ideas that are basically revealed in Vyodi Uchezes Ba Cave Esav. That one meaning, of course, is according to the Bechira of Esav. Had this been true, then he would have been in the union of Ben Yosef and he would have been first, the Bechira, and Yaakov would have followed him in the union of Ben David. However, Lafidi Emes, true reality, the future knowledge of the Rabbanu Shalom, it comes out that all that we have five other meanings to understand the relationship between Yaakov and Esav, between relationships between the descendants of Yaakov and the descendants of Esav. And as we look back in history, we have the vantage point of coming all the way at the end. We can truly see that this is all what was exactly so. All these ideas. So this is basically what that statement means. Now, I had also asked another question. That it says, the Rashi says that even though Esav was born first, however, Yaakov was conceived first. And Yaakov being, and Rashi brings a raya because the first, well, if you have a tube and you put one pebble in, the pebble that went in first is the pebble that goes out last if you put one right after it. Well, therefore, Yaakov was the first one in and uh, Esav was the first one out, which indicates that Yaakov was conceived first. Now, the question then is, why is, the, is, is this arrangement so? Why is it that Yaakov is conceived first and Esav is born first? This is the question that I want to address myself to. Now, we know why Esav, basically why Esav was born first, because I had said that the Indian of Ben Yosef, in terms of the coming of the Mashiach Ben Yosef and the task of the Mashiach Ben Yosef, is always first before the task and the coming of the Mashiach Ben David. Therefore, Esav, of course, comes first. But the question is, why couldn't he be conceived first? Why does Yaakov have to be conceived first? And the answer to that is really that 
the Mashiach bin David or his task gives rise to the Mashiach bin Yosef. That's why. And that's what it's meant by that he's conceived first. Because if you recall by Odom Rishon that the task of Odom Rishon was to remove the Hassan, to remove the concealment of the unity or the awareness of the unity of God, to remove that, and that of course was, was made by the Rabbani Shalom in order to give man a free will test. So therefore, his task was to remove that Hesti Yehudai in the Bria. That was the first task. And Ben David, who Adam Rishon was, would be the individual who had to do that. However, after the Chet of Adam Rishon, what happened? There was a Kilko. There was increased amount of concealment of the true nature of the Rabbani Shalom. There was an increased Hesti Yehudai. And this is called Kilko. But, and therefore, it's now the job of the Mashiach bin Yosef to remove that added Hester, that added, of course, Kilko. But, if you recall, and therefore, this, of course, comes second. So, therefore, the task and the Mashiach bin Dover, the individual who does that task, task, originally came first. That was the first idea in the universe creation. And the second idea, which came as a result of man's chet, you know, was the second sequential idea, is the fact that <clears throat> Yosef, or the Indian of to remove the Hesti Yehudi contributed by man, which is called Kilko, this came second to the idea of the original Hassan, or the Hesti Yehudi, which was given by the Rabbani Shlam. Therefore, Yaakov is conceived first because the task and the individual of Ben David came first, and the task and the Indian of, of Ben Yosef comes second in terms of originally or chronologically. Also the reason why is another idea, which is also fundamental, is that the truth is that there is only one task. The only task at all is to remove the Hesti Yehudai. However, this is the only task. However, there are two ways of removing Hesti Yehudai. One is to address itself to the Hester itself. And that's what Mashiach ben David does by spreading holiness throughout his Pashtas Kedusha. And the second way is to remove the Sitra Akhra who creates further Hester. He contributes to the further Hester. But both of them are really removing Hester Yehudai. One is by doing it directly, and the other by removing the Sitra Akhra who is the enemy who is creating more Hester. You also remove Hester by removing the enemy who is making the Hester. So therefore, conceptually, the only task is the task of removing Hesti Yehudi, which is a task really of Mashiach bin David. And Mashiach bin Yosef, of course, takes on the same task, but a different aspect of it, to remove the enemy of the Sitra Akhra, who contributes to more Hester. And this, of course, all started with the Chet of Adam Rishon. That is why Yaakov was conceived first, because his task and the, himself as an individual came first, and the task was first in sequence, and also, conceptually, it is really the only task. However, Esav, who of course is the Indian of Ben Yosef, he comes second. And therefore, he comes second because the Indian of Ben Yosef was second <coughs> chronologically. And it's also second because it is really the same task as the Mashiach Ben Yosef, which means to re remove the Hesti Yehudai. And that, of course, is by addressing yourself to the enemy or the Sitra Akhra. So therefore we understand why Yaakov came first and why Esav comes second. And also we understand why Esav comes first in birth. Because the union of Ben Yosef, the task and the individual comes first. 
and therefore he represents that Inyan. And the Inyan of Ben David comes second, the task and the coming of the Mashiach Ben David comes second, therefore in terms of birth, Yaakov of course would come second. Now which brings us just generally to the idea that there are two tasks of Klai Yisrael. And that is indicated, as I had mentioned last week, by Su Meirava Aseitoiv. You have to grapple with evil and remove it. And then Aseitoiv, you have to fill in what's missing. It's like having a room, you walk in a room and it's filthy. First you've got to clean it up, then you can bring in the furniture. It's the same idea. The same idea in terms of the tasks of Klai Yisrael, in the same sequence. First you have to grapple with evil, then you have to grapple with the absence of Toiv. And that's really what's going on as a result of the Chet of Adam Rishon. First you have to remove the Sitra Achra that keeps destroying the universe, that keeps adding Hester in the universe. Then when you remove him, you can now rebuild the universe in terms of the destruction that he, the Sitra Achra, did. And also in terms of the initial damage that you found coming into this universe. In other words, it's very similar to a city. Somebody walks into a city and he finds part of the city is damaged. All of a sudden, before he can begin repairing that damage, he has an enemy who starts shelling the city. So he obviously cannot repair the damage to the city without getting rid of the enemy. And the enemy, of course, is trying to create further damage. So first you must contend with the enemy who's trying to damage the city, who's trying to damage the city further. That's what you first do. And the second thing you do, of course, after you remove the enemy who's trying to damage the city, is then repair the original damage of the city itself. These are the two tasks, and these, of course, are the two tasks of Klai Yisrael, and each one, of course, the major individuals occupying this task, and, of course, is the Mashiach ben David, and, of course, Mashiach ben Yosef. Go further. Now, it says in the next Pasuk, and the boys grew up. And Esav was a man who knew hunting. A man of the field. Was a man who was simple or plain. He would dwell in tents. Now, to understand what these sukkah mean. When it says in the Torah, when the Torah puts two individuals in the same subject and predicate, there is an equality indicated. And the lads, the boys grew up. Means they were equal when they grew up. This indicates an equality of both of them in all areas, basically. That's why it says rather than saying and then When it puts them together in the same object and predicate, or rather the same subject and predicate, it indicates an equality. And they were basically equal in all areas. Now, as an aside, I would like to point out, just as a, as a digression from the main theme, that Vayigdulana Oram indicates several ideas. The first idea is a tremendous praise to Yitzchok and Rivka. Why? Because it says that Yitzchok loved Esau, and it says Rivka loved uh, Yaakov. So one would think that since each parent had a different preference, that they would treat each child differently. So the Torah says, they were treated the exact same way. Okay? So that's an equality of treatment by the parents. That even though each parent had their own preference, they did not allow their preferences to blind them in terms of the treatment of their children. 
That's a praise for Yitzchak and Rivka. Therefore it says, Vayigdilu Oram. And the boys grew up with the exact same treatment by the parents. That's an aside, which is really not related to our main theme. The second idea, which is again an aside, and this is indicated by Rav Shimshul Froh Hirsch, and I thought it would be Kedai just to mention, is Vayigdul Oram again is an equality, of course, that both individuals, both Yaakov and Esav, received the exact same schooling, the same training. They received the exact same educational approach. Because again, Vayigdul Oram means that they both grew up in an equal manner. That means that they both had the same kind of shear, same rebbe, and so on, basically. And Hirsch says that, Chazal say that this was a big mistake on the part of Yitzchak and Rivka. That if you have two individuals, okay, if you have two individuals that have really two different temperaments, you have two kinds of people, like Yaakov and Esav, that in inclinations they're so different, <coughs> the dispositions are so different, then you cannot treat them, you cannot educate them with the exact same method. For instance, in other words, Esav, who is tremendously restless, he had a tremendous amount of energy. He was an outgoing person. He had a lot of strength. You cannot give him the same kind of education as you do by Yaakov, who was studious. He was quiet. He tended to remain at home. He didn't get involved in going outdoors. Each one has to be trained differently. And that is really the way that you bring out, you actualize the potential in each. This is what uh, Hirsch says. And of course, the Pasik says that. Here it says, and the Naorim were treated equally educationally. But of course, in the in, in, in the Pasik it says, that you're supposed to educate the Na, not the same way, but you have to educate children who have different temperaments and different natures and dispositions, different ways. And it's a mistake to apply the same method. This is a very interesting idea which Hirsch brings out. In other words, that all natures have to serve the Rabbani Islam. It doesn't make a difference what disposition, what kind of inclination or temperament they have. But they have to serve them in their own path, in their own way. Which means that not only is their path different, which ultimately goes in the, toward the same end, namely to serve the Rabbani Islam, but the educational process also has to take into account the individual differences, the different natures of people. That's an aside which I wanted to mention. Now, getting back, these are two ideas which I wanted to mention, which I think were beautiful ideas, and uh, I felt it was worthwhile just uh, div uh, diverging just from our main theme. Getting back to our main theme, of course, Vayigdul and armies they were equal. They were equal in terms of the kinds of tasks that they had, which means that they were both equal until they were 13 years old, because Rashi says that one could not tell the difference between them at all. They were equal in the performance of mitzvahs. They both did all the mitzvahs. They were both brilliant, because we imagine Yaakov was probably an Eloi. Esav was the same Eloi as Yaakov, the same brilliance. They both had the same hasmada in learning, because until 13 years old, the kid really uh, does many, many things. You can, you can tell a tremendous amount of the nature of a child, of course, before 13. So they were both brilliant. They both had the same Hasmodan learning. And not only that, but they had the same Midas. They were both Midas Tevis, even if it be for Esav externally. They both were the exact same way. In other words, they were equal. 
not only were they equal in, in the mitzvahs and so on, and the uh, brilliance and our smart and learning and the midas and so on, but also they were equal in the potential to achieve their tasks, their tikkunim, even though the tasks were different, but they were certainly at least equal in the ability of both to actualize or to realize, to achieve the tikkunim, those corrections or the, that job which both of them had to do in the Bria. And therefore, of course, in the Kedusha, in the Dvekas, the reward they would have gotten, they at least were at least on an equal par. Okay? There's no question that they were at least equal in their Dvekas possibilities, in their Kedusha, which of course is cons- consistent completely with the entire internal theme. Now, it is interesting to note there is a sefer called Pa'aneach Rozo, who was written by a Rishon. And uh, he wrote this sefer, and this sefer has a lot of gematrius and remosim and so on. It's very interesting. And he brings down a remarkable idea, and it's a Rishon. So you have to, you have to take it like any Rishon. He says that if you add up the gematria of Yaakov, Yud Ein Kuf Vov Beis, Yaakov Mole, means with the Vov, because usually Yaakov is spelled without the Vov. It's spelled, the gematria is 188. Two times 188 is 376. That is the exact gematria of Esav. Esav is 376, which is twice the numerical value of Yaakov. And what he says, what that indicates, and this is a reason, that if Esav had not sinned, then Esav would have received twice as much as Yaakov. On the contrary, that Esav would have received twice as much as Yaakov, and his lotion is, Kiflayim, double, molivigodish, overflowing. That's what he would have received had Esav not done his chatoim. So we can imagine. Now what that probably, of course, means is that even in Oilim Hazer, it would have been twice as great as Yaakov, because he would have had Oilim Hazer, which is the Meruch of Oilim Hazer, and he, in other words, he would have ruled over all the nations in terms of Oilim Hazer. And also he had a tremendous Kedusha, holiness, he also would have had Oilim Hazer, whereas Yaakov only would have had just the Kedusha, but not been involved in the material world. And also in Oilim Habo, that Esau would have been twice as great as Yaakov. This is what we see. Therefore, we can surmise, according to this, that obviously if the reward is twice as great, therefore the task obviously is twice as difficult also. And we can ask, why is it that Esav, according to the Paneach Rozo, why should he have received such a tremendous share, even twice as much? And the answer to that is, is that it's always much better to go to war for God in the base Medish than it is in the mud pits. Obviously, one would much rather be tested in the base medrash how much he's going to learn and so on than ha- actually have to go out and be, be a tremendous gaiva and taiva and have to win in war with the eight Sahara on that gaiva and taiva that intrinsic nature and it's much more difficult of course but it's much less desirable to be involved in that particular phase of a war therefore it seems that Asaph therefore was compensated by being given the ability to, of course, receive twice what Yaakov would have, would have received. Therefore, Yaakov twice is the numerical value of Esav. This is what the Paneach Rozo, and again, this is all consistent with the entire theme, which, were, which is what I've been saying, that initially Yaakov and Esav were both set out to do the Tikkunim. And, uh, of course, that Esav certainly had Bechira. Now, to continue in the Pasuk, I had mentioned 
one of the questions that I had mentioned is why does what does it mean when you say Yudea Tsayid that Esav was a man who knew hunting and it says Ishsodeh that he was a man who lived in the fields what does this mean by Esav other than its plain meaning well we can see interestingly enough that the word Yudea Tsayid knows hunting refers to the personality of Esav whereas Ishsodeh a man of the field Okay, refers to his abode. It refers to the residence or the dwelling place of Esav, where Esav used to hang out. That's two different terms. And when you look at it, you can see that these words really have two meanings. The Yudayat Sayyid has two meanings in terms of what Esav should have been and what Esav was. Again, the duality, where the term is Muram is both. And that Ish Sode is what Esav should have been in terms of what he uh, should have been, of course, and in case of and, and what he turned out to be. Now, what are the two meanings which I am referring to? Yudayat Sayyid, of course, means he knows hunt. He knows hunting, entrapment. So what Esav should have been, of course, he should have been a hunter. But who would have been the game? The Sitra Akhra. He should have been able to hunt the Sitra Akhra and subdue him. That is the metaphor the entire task of Esav. In other words, the Sitra Akhra will be the game. And his task, of course, is to subdue the Sitra Akhra on the Kedusha by not giving in to his tremendous inclinations of Gaiva and Taiva. He would then subdue the Sitra Akhra. He would channel his drives in the direction of the Rabbi And that itself would have been the subjugation of the Sitra Akhra. And he would have been the hunter to hunt the Sitra Akhra, the game, of course, who is loose, and, of course, to subdue it. However, instead of doing that, Esav, instead of being a Yudea Tzayed, to know, to know hunting, in terms of subduing or hunting and entrapping the Sitra Akhra, he became a Yudea Tzayed, one who is knowledgeable in hunting. And Rashi says, he knew how to de- deceive people, to ensnare people by telling lies. So he became that Yudea Tzayed, the Yudea Tzayed where he knew how to act deceptively with people how to do all your riches, all your evil, gaivan taiva, and to deceive people and to think that you're some kind of a tzaddik or whatever. To be actually, of course, a sneak. And it's interesting, of course, that <clears throat> what he accuses Yaakov later on, that Yaakov deceived me, he himself is the quintessence of that meter of deception. But in any case, this is the dual ideas indicated in Yudayat Sayyid, that Esav should have been a Yudayat Sayyid, to hunt, to entrap, to ensnare the Sitra Akhra, and that was Mamish the task of the Indian of Mashiach ben Yosef. Instead, he became Yudayat Said, he knew how to ensnare people, how to fulfill all his gaivanist taiva, and to fool people into going along with him or to getting it from people. This is what Esav became. Okay? Now, in other words, Esav, if you recall what I mentioned, that Esav was from the Mida of Tiferes, beauty or truth, Emes, which is another name of Tiferes. And your dead side is the opposite of Tiferes or Emes, see? So when the Torah says your dead side, what it's really saying on the level of what Esav truly was, that he was a deceiver, which means that he went against his own Shirish, which is the Mida of Tiferes, which is Emes. And Esav, of course, went against his own root, and of course, he was an incredibly deceptive man. He was a liar. He was a con artist, the, to use the, the slang term today. And that's what the Torah tells you, that he was a, an individual, of course, who went against the Sherish of Tiferes, 
And what is that? Emes. And of course, he was a Yudit side, which is Shekel. And in terms of what it says, Ish Sodeh, a man of the field, Ish Sodeh is very good for Esav. That's exactly what he should have been. A man who is outdoors. A man who would interact with Ulam Hazer, right? To for the Sitra Akhra. That's exactly, Ish Sodeh is the proper environment for Esav who had these inclinations to force him into that environment. But his task, of course, was to be in that environment and subdue to turn the material pleasures of Ulam Hazer and the arrogance in Ulam Hazer, the narcissism of Ulam Hazer, to channel them to the Rabban Islam. Instead, what did he do? He took Sodeh, Ish Sodeh, and he satisfied all his needs, his gaivan, his taiva. He used Ulam Hazer, of course, as the vehicle by which he can satisfy his gaivan, his taiva, all his needs and his drives, in other words, all his urges. So we see, therefore, that the Torah in Yudea Tzayid and Ish Sodeh is Marama's both ideas, what he should have been and what he became. You see, both indicating the same idea. Now, let's take a look at Yaakov. Yaakov, what does the Torah call Yaakov? He calls him an Ishtom, a man who is plain or simple. And it says, Yeishi Beholom, a man who dwells, has his residence or abode in tents. What does this mean by Yaakov? And remember, it has to mean the same thing. It has to indicate in terms of uh, certainly what they should have been. Now, by Yaakov, it's easier because Yaakov should have been, and he was what he should have been. So, therefore, we only have to look for one meaning by Yaakov, because he wasn't anything else but what he should have been. So, therefore, there will be only one meaning by Ishtam and Yeshiv Oholam. What is that? We see that Ishtam, again, a plain, a simple man, refers to his personality, right? And Yeshiv Oholam, a man who dwells, refers to his abode, his dwelling, his residence. The same duality. Now, what does this mean by Yaakov? So, Ishtom means a man who is wholehearted, that his mouth and his heart are the same. A man of truth. That's what it means. A man who is plain or simple, Rashi says, is the opposite of deception and, 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 uh, and deceit. He's Ishtom, a complete whole man. What he says, Echot Bepeh, Vi Echot Belev. What he says with his, uh, or rather, it's the same. That his heart, that is, his mouth and his heart are one. That's why he's an Ishtam. He was, of course, truthful, wholehearted. And, of course, his midah was what? Tiferes, which is truth. So, therefore, Yaakov is described as one who fulfills the midah of Tiferes, which was his root, his shirish. So, the Torah tells you by telling you Ishtam that Yaakov truly fulfilled his midah of Tiferes. And he was involved only in the pursuit of truth and whatever that involved. And the fact that the Torah says Yeshiva Cholim, that Yaakov dwelt in the tents. Now, what tents do we refer to when it says tents? Oyholim, of course, means the Ohel Torah, the tent of Torah. But why does it say Oyholim? Tents, plural. Because they are either refers to the tents of Shem Ve'eva, the tent of Shem and the tent of Eva, all refers to the tents of Avram and Yitzchak. In either case, the tents of either of these people, either of these pairs, was obviously constantly involved with Torah. Therefore, what was the tafkid of Yaakov as being involved in the union of the Mashiach ben David? That he would have to what? His pashat kedusha. He would have to spread holiness. He would have to fill the vacuum of the absence of the 
concealment of the Rebbe Shalom's Yehudah, and he would have to be involved in accumulating it for himself, which means that he would have to be involved in learning Torah intensively and doing the mitzvahs, and then to promote. Therefore, Yeshiva Holom tells us that Yaakov was involved exactly in what his tafkid was, in the union of Mendovid. He spashed his Ketusha. Therefore, that is what the both ideas or both both of these phrases mean in terms of Yaakov, that he was consistent with his tafkid of his spashed his Ketusha, as shown by Yeshiva Holom, and that he was consistent with the Mid of Tferas by the fact that he was Emes, which is Ishtam, Whereas Esau was reverse. He should have been a Yudayat Sayyid of the Sitra Akhra and Ish Sadr to subdue Ulam Hazer. Instead, he was a Yudayat Sayyid. He knew how to deceive people in order to get what he wants, his Gaivan Taiva, which is the opposite of the Mid of Tferas, which was a Sherish. And it was Ish Sadr, a man who lived in Ulam Hazer in order to get his needs. That answers that these two questions which I asked previously. Now, let us continue in the Pasuk. The next Pasuk says, Torah says, to continue, Vayehav Yitzchok is Esau, that Yitzchok loved Esau, Kitzai the Piv, because the hunting that Esau always fed him game, because side the Piv, game was always in the mouth of Yitzchok. Verifko Eheves is Yaakov, and Rivko loved Yaakov. Now, the most quest- famous question here is, how in the world, why did Yitzchak loved Esav. It doesn't make sense. Why is it that Yitzchak loved Esav or Russia? What about Yaakov? Now, it doesn't mean that Yitzchak didn't love Yaakov at all. It means he loved Esav more. So the question is, how do we understand the fact that Yitzchak loved him so much? Now, in order to understand those, why was Yitzchak so attracted to Esav? This is the question. And not only that, there's an incredible statement in the Zoya that says, Kol Zino, the Zoya on this particular Pasuk says, Kol Zino, every type, Rachem Zine, loves its own type. What does that mean? Are we to assume that Yitzchak is a Russia, Chasvashom, therefore he loved Esav, who is a Russia? What does this mean? Well, we now have enough material to understand what it means. We merely have to apply it. And what does it mean? If you recall, Yitzchok had the disposition of Hashem's mid of Gvura. You remember? That Yitzchok had that kind of inclination, had that tremendous strength. And in fact, he represented the sphere or the mid of the Rabbani Shalom called Gvura. And that's really what Yitzchok's task was, to subjugate the Yitzhak Sahara with this Gvura, right? And that's what Yitzchok's main idea, because Yitzchok was a Sherish of the Mashiach ben Yosef. And that's exactly what Yitzchok's task was, and that's exactly what he accomplished, right? He did subjugate the Eight Sahara in an incredible manner. And his disposition was the disposition of Gvura. Now, if you recall, Esav also had the Midah of the Rabbani Shlom, that disposition of Gvura. Also, but the only difference is, is that Esav had it from the central Midah called Teferis. And since he emerged from the left side, which I had mentioned previously, and the left side, of course, is Gvura. So therefore, it comes out that we now understand simply why Yitzhak loved Esav. The reason why he loved Esav so much is because Esav had the same disposition as Yitzhak, the same incredible Gvura, tremendous ego strength, which is the power of obstinacy, obstinacy 
which he saw in Esav. Esav had the same task as Yitzchak, was to subjugate the Sitra Achra on the Kedusha. That's Mamish, the same task. And of course, both of them were involved in the union of Ben Yosef. That's why Yitzchak loved Esav. He had the same disposition in terms of the tremendous Gvura. He had the same task as, uh, as, as Esav. And also, of course, they were involved in the same inyonim, which is, of course, the union of the Mashiach ben Yosef. That's what the Zoya means, that kol zino, rachem zine, every type loves its own type. Not type means Russia loves another Russia, but every type, since Yitzch was the same inclination, the same disposi- disposition of Gura, the same task, and involved in the same aspect of the Mashiach, as Esav, okay, therefore Yitzchak loved Esav. He was very much drawn because a father loves a son who is very much like him. He's drawn more toward that son than toward a child who is not the same kind of disposition as the father. Now, where do we see this marumas in the Pasuk? We know that whenever we are on the Senap Shat, it's got to be indicated in the Pasuk. Well, the Pasuk says, that Yitzchak loved Esav, Kitzayed Bepiv. Because there was game in his mouth. Now, Poshipshat is because since Esav fed him all the time, he was very much, he was sort of like bribed by Esav, right? But if you take a look, it says, Ki tzayed bepiv. That's three words. Ki tzayed bepiv, right? Three words. That tells us that we must look at the word or the phrase Ki tzayed bepiv three times. And that will tell us exactly what was going on. So let's, let's do it. Vayehav Yitzchok is Esav, and Yitzchok loved Esav, right? <clears throat> this indicates <clears throat> three words, the three ideas. Isaac, Yitzchok loved Esav, right? Why? Because game, who is the game? The Sitra Achra was in Yitzchok's mouth. And when a, person, when a person eats, it's a metaphor of consuming. You consume the Sitra Achra. In other words, Yitzchok's tafkid was to subjugate the Sitra Achra, and the Torah says, why did Yitzchok love Esau? Because the task of Yitzchok and his inclination was, and his achievement, was that the Sitra Achra, the game, Tzayed, the piv, was in Yitzchok's mouth. He was in the act of consuming the Sitra Achra. Okay? The Torah tells us what the task, the disposition, and the achievement of Yitzchok is, right? That's the first time through. So Yitzchok loved Esau because... Yitzchok had subjugated the Sahara, right? Second time through. That Yitzchok loved Esau because Kitzayed the Piv, because game or the Sitra Achra was also in the mouth of Esau. Because Esau also, apparently so, and this was the way he fooled Yitzchok, also was the fact that Esau also had done this task of subduing the Yitzhahara, the disposition of Gvura and his achievement. This is what Yitzchak thought, but what was the real truth is the third time around. Kitzayed bepiv, because bepiv, by the mouth of Esav, tzayed, he would ensnear Yitzchak. Yitzchak was game to Esav, okay? He would ensnear or entrap Esav bepiv by his mouth, which Rashi says. By his mouth, it was by deceiving Yitzchak, Yitzchak thought that he was doing his job of capturing the Sitra Achra, which was the same job as he himself had done, therefore he loved Esau. You see? So by repeating the words, the phrase, Kitzai the Piv, three times, 
it has three ideas that Yitzchok loved Esau because Esau deceived by his mouth he ensnared Yitzchok that's when Kitzai the Piv that in the mouth of or by the mouth of Esau there was ensnarement or hunting which namely means Yitzchok so as a result of the fact that Esau fooled or ensnared or entrapped Yitzchok what did he entrap him with? That Yitzchak should believe that Esav was doing also the job of Tzayi B'piv. That the Sitra Achra was in the mouth of Esav. That Esav was subjugating the Sitra Achra. And why, why is that such a tremendous effect to Yitzchak? Because Tzayi B'piv. That is exactly what Yitzchak did also. That was his nature. That was his, in other words, his disposition, his task and his achievement. And therefore, that is why he loved, he loved Esav. So therefore the Torah indicates outright why Yitzchok loved Esau. Because he was involved in the union of Mashiach ben Yosef to subjugate the Sitra Achra. He thought Esau was involved in that union and he thought that Esau did that union. And the reason why I thought is because Esau entrapped him. So the entire story is in those three words okay, of Kitzayid Bepiv. And I'll continue. Repeat, remember that eating is a metaphor for consuming, for destroying. <clears throat> That's why we refer to the Sitra Achra in the mouth of these uh, of Yitzchak. You know, he, he was destroying the Sitra Achra, removing all these sparks of holiness. And if you recall that Esav used to de- deceive Yitzchak by asking him, Do you have to mice a salt? Do you have to mice a straw? This is what Chazal say. And in that way, he used to deceive Yitzchak. And therefore, as a result of all this, Yitzchak, of course, loved uh, Asaph. Now, to continue next week. Let us continue from what we had last week. Now, uh, let's continue in the Torah. It now says, by Yozid Yaakov Nozid, and Yaakov was preparing or making a dish of red lentil beans. By Yovi Asaph, and Asaph came in Asodah from the field, and he was very tired. By Yomi Asaph and Yaakov, so Asaph said to Yaakov, Please stuff me. Halitani is a lotion of stuffing. Stuff me uh, from this red, red uh, dish that you're making. Because I'm very tired. Uh, and the Torah says, and therefore they call his name Edom. That's where the name Edom comes from because he wanted so much this red uh, dish of lentil beans. Yaakov so said to him, Sell me as this day as Bechoros Choli. Your bechira, your uh, rights of firstborn, and of course by Esav, and he said, "Behold, I am going to die." What's the point? Because Chazal say on that day he killed Nimrod and his son, and he figured that they would probably retaliate anyway. The relatives would retaliate. So what's the point? So by Yomei Kayoim, swear to me as this day by Shavaloi, Esav swore. And he sold his Bechira to Yaakov. Now, if we begin to try to understand these Nyonim, there are profound truths indicated by these several Psukim, all part of the internal theme. Now, when it says, Vayozed Yaakov Nozid, that Yaakov prepared a dish of red lentil beans, Chazal say that Yitzchak was an Ovel, he was a mourner, because Avram had died that day. Avram died on the very day that Esav sold his Bechira to uh, Yaakov. And of course Yitzchak was a mourner. And what, Yitz, uh, what Yaakov was preparing for Yitzchak 
was the Sudas Havra. That is the meal in which the mourner, uh, in other words, it's, uh, a mourner cannot feed himself the first day when he's in Ovel. So therefore, the Sudas Havra, which is the first meal, others feed him. And Yaakov was preparing the Sudas Havra, this meal of consolation, which he was going to give Yitzchak, who hadn't, of course, been an Ovel, a mourner, because of the death of his father. This is what Chazal say. Now, also Chazal say, very interestingly enough, that Avram Avinu died at the age of 175. He should have really lived until 180 because Yitzchak lived until 180. That was Yitzchak's life. So he should have lived at least until Yitzchak and not die before the amount of years that Yitzchak lived. But Chazal say that, Ace, that uh, Avram Avinu died five years before his time. He died at 175 instead of 180. Why? Because the uh, because the Rebbeinu promised Avram that he would die in a good old age. And obviously, watching Esav go into his rishus to go out and commit evil deeds, obviously, uh, to watch Esav falling into this rishus is obviously not a very good way of having a good old age. So therefore, what the Rebbeinu did is he removed Avram of Yinu five years before his time so that Avram should not witness the fact that Esav was now going into an evil direction. Now, the question I had asked previously, if you recall, is what is the significance of the fact that Avram Avinu died on the day that Yaakov, or rather Esav, sold his Bechir to Yaakov? Now, in addition, as I had mentioned in the Pasuk, the Torah says, V'hu oyef, that Esav was very tired when he came from the field. And Chazal say that Esav had just committed five grievous sins that day, on that day itself that Avram Avinu died one of them was with Sicha where he killed Nimrod and the son of Nimrod this is one of the Averis and Chazal reckoned out four other Averis, but in any case Chazal say that he committed five serious or grievous sins on that very day, now this is what, uh, what, what Chazal say now, it's interesting that you find a discrepancy because you find it says that when Esav was 13 years old, that's when he went out to do evil. And then here you find that some places, Mephoshim say, that he did evil, or he went out to do evil when he was 15 years old. There's a discrepancy of two years. So the question, of course, is why is there this, this discrepancy? When did Esav, in fact, go out into an evil path? Because we know until 13, it says, Vayigdalu anoram, that they were equal in Tzitkus. Neither. You couldn't tell any difference by their acts. But after that, of course, after 13 of Bar Mitzvah, that is when Esav went out to do evil deeds. So the answer to that is, is that really he went out to do evil deeds, he became a Rosh at 13, right by Bar Mitzvah. Okay, but the idea is that then he did a various bitsino. He did it between he himself in secrecy. Nobody knew. At fifteen, he did it with Vahesia. He went out and just flaunted, uh, just uh, openly flaunted the uh, the mitzvahs, the tradition of of Yitzchak. And therefore, at that fifteen, he did it with Vahesia. He did it publicly. Okay, this is also this is an answer to the discrepancy between two years. Now, of course, both Yaakov and Esau were 15 on that day. They were both 15. And on this day, as I said, Esau did five grievous sins. 
which means that he didn't start to do sins on that day, but it was merely a continuation of the Chatoim, which he did from the time he was 13. However, today, of course, he did even on the day that Avraham Avinu died. Now, we can ask a question. What is the connection between the fact that in the same posik it says Vayozed Yaakov Nozed, that Yaakov made a dish of red lentil beans, and it says that Esav came from the Sadev Ruhu Oyev and he was tired. The fact that the Torah puts that in the same posik is revealing. What does that reveal? Also, why is it that Yaakov wanted the Bukhara so much? I mean, other than the, some of the obvious reasons, but what really prompted Yaakov? that he wanted this Bukhira so much. Which, uh, this question I had originally asked. And one more question. Why is it that it says, Michur Kayoim, sell me as this day your Bukhira, your birthright? It should just say, sell me your birthright. What do you mean, sell me as this day? That's a very unusual expression. Sell me as this day your birthright. It's, to me, it should just say, by Yom Yaakov, and Yaakov said, Michras, Bechiros, Choli, sell me your firstborn, your birthright, sell it to me. Now, I have asked, previously I had asked 51 questions. However, what I have asked until now is I, I really have, had asked four extra questions besides the 51 questions which I had asked previously. And the additional two questions which I had answered is why is Ace of Red at Moini? And what's the significance of Vayigdiluhan Oram? I have now a- a- asked another two questions, which is why, what's the connection between Vayozid Yaakov and Vuhu Oyev in the same posik? And why does it say Micha Kayoim? So, so far I've asked a total of 55 questions for those who want to keep track. Now, so the, the question, of course, is what is really going on in these psukim? Now, to understand the Pnimis of the Inyan, you have to really ask an immediate question. If, if I say that Esav is a Masakin, right, because Esav is involved in Inyan of Ben Yosef, right, then automatically if you can correct the universe, right, you must also be able to damage the universe. Is that not true? <coughs> Obviously, he who can change the Bria, he can minimize the Hester, <coughs> can also increase the Hester. If you can correct the Bria, remove the Hester, you obviously also can be able to calculate to increase Hester, because that's what Kilkul is, and increase Hester. So the question that I put to everybody is that between 13 and 15 years, we know that Esav was doing Chatoim, correct? What was the Kilkul in the Bria that Esav did in those two years? Because we know that Esav was being calculated the Bria from those two years, because at Bar Mitzvah is when a person becomes the Masakin. That's when he becomes Chayv Mitzvah, which means he becomes the Masakin, or able to change the status of Hester, concealment, and Ha'oro, and presence of the Rabboni Shalom Yehudai. So therefore, the question I'm asking, of course, now is, what was the Kilkel that Esav made in the Bria? What was the greater Hester that Esav made in the Bria as a result of the fact that he sinned for these two years? And the answer to that, which is going to be very striking to you, is that the answer to what the kilkel of what Esav made was the death of Avraham Avinu. He killed Avraham Avinu indirectly. Now I'll explain. And remember, Avraham Avinu is an of, he's a patriarch. The kilkel of Esav was so great that Avraham Avinu died, wait, as a result. Now what does that mean? 
The death of a tzaddik is the, one of the greatest kilkulim in the Bria. What is kilkul? It means an increase in the hester in the universe. Is that not correct? So therefore, when a tzaddik dies, it is a tremendous kilkul. Why? Because it's a tremendous hester. That the influence that the tzaddik would have on the world in terms of his avodah, his terror, and his mitzvahs, right? And the amount of hashpah, the influence that a tzaddik would have to promote the rebellion to all, is gone. So therefore the world is in a greater state of hester or concealment because the tzaddik by his avodah, Torah mitzvahs, and by his marbet's Torah removes that hester. So when a tzaddik dies, it's a kilkel in the bria because now we do not have that individual to reverse the hester, to create a ha'ora. So automatically the death of a tzaddik is a tremendous kilkel in the bria. Now, can you imagine... If Avraham Avinu on his level dies, what did we say that Esav, what did we say happened by Avraham? Avraham Avinu died five years before his time. Could you imagine that Avraham Avinu was on the level of the Ov, that every day in Avraham's life is an incredible tikkun and ha'orah to the Bria. How many gerim he would have made in, uh, in, in further five years of his life. How much t- t- corrections and tikkunim and, and presence of God and promote the Rebbeinu Shalom's uh, will throughout the Bria, how much more would this have taken place had Avram Avinu lived another five years? Because every day in the life of an Ov is probably greater than a hundred years in our lifetime. Now, it says that because of the riches of Esau, he died five years before his times. That means... He died five, that means you have five years less of Hester, five years less of Tikkunim and Ha'ora to the Bria as a result of the Chet of, of, of Esau. Now, what that means is that Avram was picked, that the death of Avram served two purposes, and that's why Avram Avinu was chosen. First of all, it removed the kilkel, rather that was the kilkel. That was the physical manifestation in the universe for the two years of Averis which Esav did. Okay. And the second thing is that Avram was chosen as a, another purpose, because if Avram would die, Avram would be able to live in a good old age and not see the riches of Esav. So two things were served, that, uh, that Avram would not see the evil of Esau if he would die now. And also this would be the kilkel of the Bria that Esau was responsible for in his two years of doing tremendous chatoim. So therefore Avram was picked for that kilkel, <clears throat> okay, because of Esau's chatoim, because since anyway the Rebbeinu did not want him to see the riches of Esau, that would also serve the second purpose of being the expression of kilkel, of the Bria. This is what the kilkel that Esau had done with his two years of Chatoim. That Avram Avinu, that Sadiq, that level of an Av, that he died five years before his time, which is a tremendous Hester on the level of what an Av could have done. And now we understand when it says Malachi, it says a Posik, or Hafti Eschem, I have loved you. In the beginning of Malachi, the second Posik, Om Rashem. The Rebbe Hashem says to Klai Yisrael, I have loved you. You'll ask me, in what way have I loved you? How did I show my love? So the Rebbe Hashem says, Behold, Esav is a brother to Yaakov. And if you recall, that means an equality. That Esav has the ability to do the same tikkurim and kukurim as Yaakov, right? 
and I loved Yaakov as Esau's Sunnesi, and I hated Esau. Why does the Rebbeinu hate Esau? The Rebbeinu doesn't hate Goyim because a Goy cannot do anything to the presence of the Rebbeinu, either for or against it. The Rebbeinu hates only Kaviyochol, somebody who can influence the amount of Hester or on the Bria, because in that way you influence. God's movement, that the Rebbeinu voluntarily subjects his movement <coughs> to the acts of a Masakin. So if Esav is a Masakin, then obviously Esav can remove or master the Yichud of the Rebbeinu So God has to remove himself more. So therefore you are being Pogea, you are unreal, you are touching the presence of the Rebbeinu So therefore it makes sense that God hates Esav. Because Esav is a Masakin, therefore he is a Makalko. Vo'oyhav is Yaakov, but the Rebbeinu says, "I showed that I loved you because I hated Esau because he was Makalkal the Bria. He forced me to take away Avram Avinu, but I loved Yaakov because could you imagine if the Rebbeinu did not take away the ability of Esau to massacre the Bria? Could you imagine how much more Kilkul Esau would have done? And therefore, the Jews who ultimately have to correct the Bria, how much more Tikkunim they would have to have done?" They would have to massacre far more of the Bria because of Esav's incredible chum. So the Rebbeinu is going to take away the ability of Esav to macacle the Bria. Okay? And that, in that way, he shows his love for Klai Yisrael. That is one of the ways he shows his love for Yaakov. But now we understand what that means. So therefore, it comes out, we now can answer all the previous questions. That the reason why it says, Vayozid Yaakov nozid, and Yaakov was preparing the Sudas Havro, the red, the, this dish of red lentils, to give to Yitzchak, who is an oval. Why? Because Esav Because Esav was constantly involved in being tired of doing Averis for the past two years in Eilim That's why Yaakov was preparing a Sudas Havro for Yitzchak. That's why Yitzchak was an oval. In other words, that Avram's death was determined, okay, or rather it forced the sale of the Bechira, because the Rebbeinu took it away from Esav, and of course, in order that Esav should no more be able to macalkal the Bria. That's why it was sold on that day. That is why the Bechira was sold on the day Abram died, to indicate that the reason why the Bechira is being sold is because of the tremendous kikulam which was the death of Avram Avinu that happened on that day. Therefore, we see that Avram's death actually forced the sale of the Bechira away from, of course, away from Esau. It determined that there must be a sale of the Bechira because of Esau's tremendous kukulam. And therefore, of course, in order it was sold on that day to Miramis to allude to this idea. That's what Chazal means. Now, the second thing. Now we understand why the uh, sukkah are connected. That Yaakov, of course, was uh, preparing that thing because of the fact that Esav was tired, which means that the Avelus of Yitzchak was caused by the kilkul of, of, or the chatoim of, of course, Esav. Therefore, that is why the Pesach has them both. And that is why, the, that is the significance of the fact of why Avram Avinu died on the day that Yaakov took the Bukhara from Esau. Now, that's also why, which I had asked, why did Yaakov want the Bukhara so much? 
not because Yaakov wanted to take it away from Esau because he wanted more Ruchnius at Esau's expense. And not because Esau was a Russia. That's not enough. But Esau's Rishus is Mechalkal de Bria. That's why Yaakov wanted to take it away from Esau. Because every chet that Esau does is another tremendous damage for Horaya. The greatest damage of all was that Avraham Avinu had to die five years before his time. But mainly Yaakov wanted to take away from Esau. Not only that because he wanted more Ruchnius at his brother's expense. And it's not even sufficient to say because of the riches of Esau. But because the riches of Esau is a tikkun. Because Esav is a masakin and the is a makalko. Therefore, you must take away the ability to masakin. Yaakov is not interested in taking away the birthrights of Goyim. But for Esav, he is. Because the birthright of Esav enables Esav to makalko the Bria. That we must remove. Now we understand the last question. Why Yaakov says, Mikro kayoyim your Bechira. Sell me this day. Because Yaakov said, as this day, this day indicates the acts that you are truly involved with because of the consequences that happen on this day, namely the death of Avram. So sell me this day, this day when we see clearly what you were involved with because, and the consequences, of course, that Avram died. This day I want you to sell me your Bechira, your ability to massacre the Bria. Because instead of being massacre the Bria, you have been Makalka the Bria. And that is why. It says, as this day. Sell me as this day indicates. Because Kayoim is the rationale of why Yaakov wanted so much. And that's why he's saying, sell me as they say, your Bechura. So that you should no more make tremendous kilkulum in the Bria. And instead, you will have no more power at all of, of, uh, of uh, power in order to massacre. And therefore, of course, you can no more makako. Continue. It says, V'yakov nosan le'esov, and Yaakov gave to Esav lechem, bread, unizid adoshim, and he gave him the red lentils, beans. And it says a very peculiar kind of phrase. It says, V'yuchal, and Esav ate, V'yesht, and he drank, V'yokum, he got up, V'yelech, and he went, V'yives, Esav is a Bechura. And Esav despised the Bechura. What is the Torah trying to say here? Well, what the Torah is trying to indicate here, okay, is exactly why Yaakov had to take away the uh, Bechura from Esau, and in a great sense, what was the loss to Esau? What exactly did Esau do that Yaakov, of course, had to take away? The Bechura, or rather that the Rebbe arranged it that Esau would come tired and he would give away his Bechura. We know the obvious reason because the, the Kilkul of Avram, death of Avram, is the reason why Yaakov wanted to take away so desperately. But where do we see the failure on the part of Esau? Where was his failure? And the two is moving around is that in this Pesukim, because it says, Vayuchal, and he ate, Vayisht, Vayokum, Vayelech, Vayivez. Vayuchal, Vayisht, Vayokum, Vayelech is a, a sort of like Esau is hurrying. It indicates, it indicates the animal nature of Esau, the gluttonous nature of Esau. He ate, he drank, he got up, and he, and he left. You don't hear, you don't see any indication of a bracha. Maybe he would bless God before he would eat, as you find by the others that they're always in the act of, of course, blessing the Rebbe Shalom. Instead of seeing, you know, it indicates a total lack of the service to the Rebbe By not mentioning any idea of the Rebbe in this act of eating, okay, that's one idea of indicating 
the total lack of service to the Muslim, and on the contrary, it indicates by the rapidity of these words the true nature, the gaiva and the taiva of Esau. The taiva is and he ate horridly. He just wolfed it down, right? And then vayivas Esau as a bechira, and he despised the bechira. That's his gaiva. So vayyicha vayish vayokum vayilich is his taiva, and vayivas Esau as a bechira that Esau despised the priesthood. That's really what he despised, which is the service of the rebbeinu He despised the rebbeinu That's his gaiva. <clears throat> so it says. So we see that what this indicates, this phrase, it indicates Esau's failure to masakin the Indian of Olim Hazer. In other words, he was a failure Isodeh, that he interacted with Olim Hazer, and he failed to masakin it. In other words, it's a failure of the entire Indian of Ben Yosef. Because the Indian of Ben Yosef is to take Taiv and Gaiva and to turn it toward the Rabban Islam. And on the contrary, what Esav did, we see that Esav took the material world, his Taiva and his Gaiva, and he used it for his own needs. So the Torah tells us, therefore, in this passage, that Esav interacted with Olim Hazer, that's Ish Sadeh, but he actualized or he fulfilled his needs of Gaiva and Taiva. And it indicates by the rapidity of the Lashonis that the Rabbanishim is nowhere indicated in terms of a blessing to God and he's like the fact that he wolfed it down and he ran away. And his tremendous arrogant act of despising the Bechera. This indicates the complete failure of Esav to be involved with the Inyan of Ben Yosef, which is to take the Taiva and Gaiva, and on the contrary, to subjugate it to the Rabbanu service, to subjugate the Sitra Akhra. Therefore, the Torah tells us that he lost his Bechera because he failed in his own Inyan, and in addition, his Kilkel killed Avram Avinu. He was the indirect cause of the death of Avram Avinu. So appropriately speaking, we can label this entire first section, this birth and childhood of Esau and Yaakov, we can label as the failure. It's the failure of Esau to accept upon himself or to accomplish the union of Ben Yosef as an of, which he should have done, and then, of course, become part of Chai Yisrael. This is what we see is going on. Now, if, if we see that Esau failed in his task as an of, we know that Esau had the Madrig as an of. And we see that he failed in the task. In other words, he did not assume he failed in the task of the Indian of Ben Yosef. Right? Then we, there's a very uh, big difficulty. Since we know that both tasks must be done, in other words, the task of Ben Dovet, which is the Hispashtus Kedusha, to fill the vacuum, to bring in the presence of the Rabbanishlim, promote that idea throughout, and also the Indian Ben Yosef to subjugate the Sitra Akhra, both the Bria needs both for a Tikkun, remember, especially after the Chet of Adam Rishon, you need both tasks, side the task of Ben Dovet and side the task of Ben Yosef, and in that way the universe is corrected. You remove the Chet of Adam Rishon, which is man's contribution to Hester, and you also correct the Hester, which the Rabbanishlam placed, in order that man should, of course, have a task to accomplish in the first place. Therefore, both have to be done by whoever is the Masaknim. And we know the people who are the Masaknim, of course, is Klai Yisrael. Correct? Well, if we know that Asa failed in that task of Ben Yosef, right, then who would take the Indian of Ben Yosef? 
Because Klai Yisrael or the Tikkun of the Bria needs both ideas. The task of Ben Yosef and the task of Ben David. So if Yaakov was involved in the task of Ben David and Esau was involved in the task of Ben Yosef and Esau failed, then what happens to the union of Ben Yosef? And the answer to that, of course, is that the union of Ben Yosef was given to Yaakov. Yaakov now had to assume a double role. Not only was he involved in his Pashtas Kedusha, but he was also involved in to subjugate the Sitra Akhra. And that is the next story or the next phase of the story between Yaakov and Esau. And that's what the idea in Malachi, when I, which I had repeated previously, when it says that I have loved you because that Esau was a brother to Yaakov, so they could both massacre and makalkal the Bria. <clears throat> and of course, I hated Esau because he's Yaakov, and I loved Yaakov. It indicates not only that he loved Yaakov because he took away the ability of Esau to makalkal the Bria, which would have meant tremendous damage and would have involved more work for Klaus for later. But that I loved Yaakov and I gave it to Yaakov and not to another Ummah, not to another nation. I put the entire Tikkun of the Bria, the entire tasks of the Bria, everything that has to be done to bring the universe to its corrected state, I give it over to Yaakov. And in that case, I, I indicated to him an additional love. But there's a very difficult idea here. Because it's almost impossible for one man to massacre both nyon, if you recall. How can one massacre? How can one man assume both awesome tasks? Because what it would indicate is a person who had tremendous taivas and gaiva, he would have to contend with that intensity. And he would also have to contend with the intensity of learning Torah and promoting the Rebbein Islam. And since the tasks of the Mashiachim are incredibly intensified, one man would be split in half if he would be involved in both Inyanum. So the question, of course, is if you give it to Yaakov, how can Yaakov do both ideas? How can he do both Inyanum? Because what would be is that the obvious difficulties is that, first of all, there's a tremendous amount to do because Yaakov has to assume the amount that Esav has to do throughout his entire life, correct? That is an awesome amount of subjugation of the Sitra Akhra. That's a tremendous amount of fighting if we assume how much Esav would have to do through his entire life. So Yaakov has only one life to live, right? So then how can Yaakov assume that tremendous amount that has to be done by an Ov? That's the first difficulty, right? The second difficulty is what I had mentioned previously, that it's extremely dangerous for one man to assume both ideas because an individual does not have enough energy for both Inyanam. He doesn't have enough strength because each task has a tremendous intensity and one man does not have an, enough energy or for both ideas. And you should know that even if the Rabbani Shalom gives Yaakov the task of one and suspends the other, in other words, even if he has, Yaakov has to tackle the union of Ben Yosef alone at this time, right? And you'll suspend the union of, of Ben David. Still, there was a tremendous amount of energy or gvura which Yaakov already used in his own task. So where is he going to get the additional reserves of energy? So the question is, what did the Rebbe Shalom do? Once he takes it away from Esau, which is the first idea, and he gives it to Yaakov, how is Yaakov going to assume both Nyonim? How can Yaakov do that tremendous amount that has to be done by Esau and assume it himself? 
And where is Yaakov going to get the energies? Even assuming he would tackle the Inid of Ben Yosef separately, where is he going to get all that tremendous energies, that gevur which he needs to involve himself in those nyanam? And of course the next part involves itself in that. So the first part in this is entitled the failure, the failure of Esau to, of course, accomplish the idea of the Inyan ben Yosef. And the second part, which we are going to begin entering, of course, is the Inyan of uh, Yitzchak giving the brachas to Yaakov instead of Esau. And that you will see is the acquisition that Yaakov acquired the Inyan of ben Yosef in that parsha. So therefore, he has the Inyan of ben David and the Inyan of ben Yosef. And that is the entire premise of what's going on in the second part. Before leaving the uh, first part of which we have been discussing until now, and that is the part of, of course, Tildes, the entire ideas of the uh, incident of Yaakov and Esau and what transpired with both of them, uh, I would like to talk, and also, of course, before, uh, of course, the, the entire idea of the failure of Esau to assume the responsibility and the task of the Inyanum of Mashiach ben Yosef. And therefore, we see that consequently it was given to Yaakov. And this, of course, really is the entire idea of that first section that the Torah wants to tell us that originally both were supposed to have these ideas in Yonim. And you know, it's Yaakov, the Inyan of Ben David, and uh, Esau, the Inyan of Ben Yosef. And of course, Esau failed, therefore, Yaakov took it over. And that first section is there merely to tell us that originally it was given to two, and then eventually, of course, because of Esau's reneging that responsibility, of course, it then went over to Yaakov. Now, before leaving this, I would like to conclude in this first section with a very interesting idea. And let me begin the Pasuk. It says in the Pasuk, Vayumer Esau el Yaakov, and Esau said to Yaakov, how know? Because previously it said that Yaakov was making a red lentil dish, and Esau came from the field, and he was tired. And we know that he was tired. Of course, refers to the tremendous amount of avaris that he had been doing that day, as well as what he had been doing, of course, the previous years, the two previous years, from 13 to 15. In any case, it says that Esau said to Yaakov, "Halitenino, feed me, min ha'odim ha'odim hazeh." from this red, red lentil dish. Because I'm very tired. I don't even have enough strength to take the food in my mouth. Therefore, the Torah concludes, Therefore, his name is called Edoim. Because of min from this red, red lentil dish. Now, if we think about Esav is really, in terms of what he said to Yaakov, is really almost issuing or announcing something prophetically that he himself is really unaware. Okay? Now, in other words, we recall that this dish which Yaakov was making was really the Sudas Havro'o to Yitzchok because Yitzchok lost his father, Avram, who died that day. And we know now that it's because of the Kilkulim of what Esav did in the Bria. Therefore, Yitzchok, of course, was an Ovel. Now, and therefore, of course, it is also the halacha is that an ovel cannot prepare his own food the first meal. Therefore, another person has to prepare it for him. And therefore, Yaakov was preparing it for Esav. However, Esav also prophetically made these remarks, even though he was unaware really of the import of these remarks. And that is, he said that, feed me also from this red 
a red, red lentil dish because I am also truly an ovel. What does that mean? In other words, just like this suda is a suda's havro, is the consolation meal, which is going to Yitzchak because he lost his father. Esav was prophetically unaware, saying that, feed me also, because I also cannot take from food and prepare my own food. It has to be prepared for me. So therefore, feed me also from this particular red lentil dish, because Esav was saying that he also is an oval wine, because just as Yitzchak lost his father, Esav lost his father also. And who is his father? The Rabbani Shlonim. Because Esav lost the entire spiritual inheritance, that entire spiritual mission, his potential, he lost. Which means that he lost that special relationship with the Rabbani Shalom, that only a true Masakim, only that individual who's involved in correcting the Bria and therefore getting Ulam Habor, only that individual has that special closeness to the Rabbani Shalom, where the Rabbani Shalom says, that you are children to the God, Lord your God. So therefore, Asif was prophetically announcing, even though he was unaware, that he also lost his father, who is the Rabbani Shalom. He no more has that special relationship to the Rabbani Shalom, since he is no more a Masakin. Therefore, he is also an Ovel, figuratively, in a poetic sense, Therefore, this dish is also for him a Sudas Havra. Therefore, Halitani no, feed me. Because an Ovel has to be fed the first meal. So he was saying that just like Yitzchak, of course, has to be fed, I also have to be fed. Because just like he is an Ovel, because he lost his father, Avram Avinu, I also have to be fed. And Asa was saying that he lost his father, of course. And that means that he lost the Rabboni Shalom. He lost that special relationship that he had with the Rabbani Shalom as a result of the fact that, of course, he would no more be a Masakim. This is what Esav was saying. It's a very beautiful metaphoric idea that lies in the words Halitani no and the rest of the Pesukim. And, of course, it says, Esav was remarking, Halitani no, feed me. Why? Why am I also an Avel? Ki oyi funnechi, for I am tired. No, it's, I, he's saying that he has committed all these averas, and that has, of course, cost him the entire union of Ben Yosef. Therefore, he is also an Ovel. Ki Oyifanuch is the reason why Halitani no. So Esau was prophetically saying this, of course, and being unaware. It's like many times Chazal say, He prophesied, and he didn't realize that what he said was really a prophecy. Same idea. Esav made a statement and he didn't realize that this is a statement truly, the prophecy that he lost the entire union of the union of Ben Yosef. And of course, who took it? Yaakov by the union of the Brochus. Now, also, it says, Min ho'odim ho'odim Feed me from this red lentil dish and it calls it twice red. And in that way, Esav is again saying that this Udis Havro which to him, of course, is a Sudas Havra, the consolation meal, because he is also novel, because he lost the Rebbein Shalom, that special relationship. This Suda, this dish, is red, red. It's red twice. Why is it red twice? Because there are two blood. Blood indicates a demise, a death, murder, killing, in other words. That's blood. Because there are two deaths involved in this dish. One is the death, one is the death of Avram, because that's exactly what arose as the result of the Kilkulum of Esau. And the second death is his own death. 
that, and that's what he means by he's an ovel, that he also had a spiritual death, that no more would he be involved in the ruchni stiga, in a spiritual potential, or that inheritance, that achievement that he's supposed to make. So the blood indicates his death as well as the death of Avram, that he also uh, has died spiritually, and that if he no more has that close relationship, of course, with the Rebbein Islam. And that's why he says, Ho'odem, Ho'odem Hazeh, this red dish. And therefore, Alkain Koroshmoi Edoim. His name is called Edoim. Because Edoim also reveals that idea that first of all, he is involved in the murder of Avram, which means that he is involved in killing people, murder, and of course, and all sorts of, of manslaughter. This is what Esav is involved, which reflects one Odoim of Avram Avinu. And just like he killed Avram Avinu, he is involved also in the murder of all people, other people, because Esav is known for his Ritzicha, his murder. And that, of course, is the gaiva, the tremendous, uh, tremendous arrogance of Esav. And the second Odoim, he's called Edoim because of the second reason that he's Odoim. Because Edoim means that in terms of his spirituality, he's dead. It indicates his own death, that he is removed from the entire parsha, the entire idea or concept of the Inyanum of Ben Yosef, and consequently, he's removed from the entire idea or concept of a Masakin, of a Tikkunum, and consequently, he's removed from the entire ideas of Klai Yisrael. He's no more really a Yisrael, even though he's going to try to go through the motions. So therefore, this symbolically or metaphorically is what is indicated when Esav says to Yaakov, Halitini no, feed me also, because he is also an ovel, and uh, from this red lentil, because it indicates, again, two different kinds of deaths, and of course it was caused, it was caused by his chatoim, and therefore his name, Edom, reflects those two rednesses. One is the redness, or the blood that Esav is constantly involved with, his own murder and, and killing and so on, which is gaiva, and the second death, of course, is his own death because he has lost the entire inyonim of Ben Yosef. He has lost the inyonim of, uh, of being a Masakin, And he's lost the entire inyonim of being part of Kali Yisrael. And this is a fitting way to end this particular section that Esau, of course, has lost basically everything for which he was born for. He has lost the entire purpose of his creation. Now we can begin the second section or the second part and what is that? That is the entire idea of the brochus that Yitzchak gave to Yaakov, of course, who was supposed to be Esav. And there's a very great, of course, mystery. It's one of the most difficult parashas in the Torah to understand. One of the most difficult sections in the entire Torah to really comprehend. And in the same theme that we have developed until now, you will see how the same theme, of course, runs through this. Because this is the internal theme of the all the inyonim of Yaakov and Esav, as well as Yaakov and Yosef, which we shall see later. So to begin the second section, <coughs> we can now begin. It says, <coughs> And behold, and it was that Yitzchak grew old, and his eyesight grew dim from seeing. And it says, And he called Esav, called to Esav, his, his oldest son, Vayomer Elov, and he said to him, Bni, my son, Vayomer Elov, and Esav said to him, Hineni, behold. And then he says, Vayomer, and he said, and Yitzchak continues saying, Hineni, no, in the next passage, Hineni, no, behold, 
Zakanti, I've grown old, and loyadati yemaisi. I do not know the day of my death. And he, of course, then proceeds that he says, "Go out, hunt something, and bring it to me, and I want to bless you before he before he dies." Now, Chazal uh, say, as I had mentioned previously, that vatichenu enod miros means that the, that his eyesight became dim from seeing. So Chazal learned that his eyesight became dim from seeing Yaakov. In other words, the Rebbeinu purposely made Yitzchak blind, that he should not see that Yaakov would be taking the blessings, if you recall. Now, we see that Yitzchak was set up by the Rebbeinu not to know that it was Yaakov who was taking the brachas. In other words, that Yaakov should be purposely fooled, that Yaakov should be able to fool Yitzchak, that he was Esav, and he should be able to take the brachas. The, this is uh, said by the Midrash Tanchumo. So we see that the Rebbeinu specifically he wanted the brachas of Yitzchak to come to Yaakov by trickery, by deception. He allowed, he made it possible for Yaakov to deceive, to employ a deceitful ruse to Yitzchak. And of course, the question is, why? Now, also, if you recall, it said in the Zohar that the brachas are to be given by the Rabbani Shalom's knowledge, not by Yitzchak's. And the Zohar finishes by saying, and this must be, and doesn't say why. So again, the Zohar itself recognized the fact that the Rebbeinu wanted Yitzchak not to know that it was Yaakov taking the brachas. And the question, of course, is why? You should know that, as I mentioned previously, this is one of the most difficult incidents in all the Torah to understand. And it's also one of the most frequently asked. Why is it that, the, that uh, of course, that Yaakov would have to take the blessings of Yitzchak by deceit. In other words, and this bothers people very much because it puts the picture, it puts the posture of a Jew in terms of being a deceitful individual. And uh, on the contrary, Goyim always referred to this. You see, Jacob stole the brachas of Ace of his brother. It just shows you between the Jew and the Goy. Now, the truth is, however, that the answer to this question in, is one of the most profoundest principles in all of Hashkofa. And that this same principle underlies many of the mysterious events, many of the events in Tanakh, in Jewish history, and in the history of man in general, in terms of world history. That these ideas are very profound, and history is pervaded by the same principle which answers why Yaakov had to take the blessings of Yitzchok by a deceitful ruse, the, the same idea, the same principle also answers many other ideas through history. And for, in order to go to the answers, I will have to leave it next week.